Koshian Cast, the world's number one exporter of Days Hatred. My <laughs> name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hey there. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Uh, not too much. Um, like you alluded to, this is sadly the last week of Days. Uh, that sounds a little more apocalyptic than I meant it to. The anime <laughs> series called Days ended this uh. week, um, so I'm sure we'll we'll be digging into that. Um, uh, and just like but, yeah. last time, you know, we're going to be doing a review later. Yes, that is correct. Though, it is sadly not the end of the series, because, as was confirmed, we are getting a second season. Oh boy. So excited. So, anyway, we are covering this week, uh, was the 11th week of the fall season. Uh, that was going to be covering all sports anime from December 11th to December 17th. Uh, we are now Hyculus, so we are going to kick off with Yuri on Ice and just go straight into March Comes in a Lion. Okay. So, I'm going to kick off with Yuri on Ice. Get to it. So, this week we start, we are right in the middle, or right at the beginning of the tournament. Uh, Pitchett goes up first, <clears throat> where we kind of get a little bit of his backstory, because, and he talks about how he wants to make Shall We Skate his own. Uh, Yuri then goes up next. Surprisingly, I think this is the first time he hasn't gone first. Or that he's gone so early. And he tries to do better in his short program because he knows that as he is, he can't beat JJ. But, and he does fine. He does better than Pitchett, but he doesn't even break a score of 100. And then Yurio goes up, blows him away, and has an insanely high score like he gets like in like 120 which i think is one of the highest scores we've seen for a short program and then uh one of the major things that happens there is that in the middle of that uh yuri is in the middle of an interview and victor's not there with him and he realizes that he's watching yurio skate then chris goes up after him who also does who also does like a lot better than Yuri. He go, he still doesn't do as well as Yurio, but he's in number two, pushing Yuri down to three. Uh, then we finally get Odebeck, who was introduced last episode, and his whole style is that he wants to be super aggressive. He his stance is skating is a battlefield, and he wants to make sure everybody is aware of the competition. Uh, he does not do as well as Chris or uh, Yurio, but he still manages to get a score over 100. He has uh, thus pushing Yuri down into fourth place. So then we have JJ go up, and his performance does not go well. He is starting to succumb to some of the pressure, some of the hype he's actually built up around himself. And he, keeps, he flashes back to thinking of... Uh, Odebeck's performance, and it just keeps getting to him. Anytime he's supposed to do, like, triple or quadruple perform uh, spins, he only manages to pull off a single, because he's so focused on this that he's actually doing a lot worse. And he ends up actually getting last place in the short programs. Um, and then, at the very end of the episode, we have a scene with... Uh, Yuri and Victor in their hotel room, and Yuri informs Victor that he wants to call it quits after the tournament. Yeah, so it was it was an interesting. Well, I use interesting lightly because the episode didn't really feel quite like Yuri on Ice. I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it. It's interesting because we both came away from this episode with very 
different interpretations. Okay. Because I really liked this episode a lot, but I did have one major issue with it, which was, and you alluded to this in before, uh, it was the pacing, which is, I think the meat is all there from the episode. You have to decipher a lot to get to it, though. So Can you give me an example? Uh, an excellent example of this. So, before we started this episode, when we first watched it, you said that you did not care for the uh, the Victor and Yuri breakup. Well, yeah. I mean, essentially what happens is they're, during this conversation, and, and Yuri, out of nowhere, informs Victor that, you know, after the end of the Grand Prix, let's end this. And then you don't even right. get to see Victor respond... Uh, he just says, you know, this is, this is it. This is our, our final, our final time that I'll skate together with Victor. Apropos of nothing. Okay. So, here's the thing. I think they built it up during this episode, actually. It was very subtle, though. Because, think of it like this. Yuri's whole, uh, routine has been based around trying to seduce Victor. Mm -hmm. It's all about trying to make sure that Victor only pays attention to him. Right. Yeah, he wants to be that beautiful little poor cutlet bowl mm -hmm. that only Vic, uh, that only Victor has eyes for. During this episode, we see some very it's it's very quick. But for example, uh when he's in the uh, when he's in the interview, he thinks to himself, "Hey, Where's Victor? He should be here with me. Mm -hmm. And he goes up, and what he sees is he's watching Yurio skate. He's not, he's not spending his time with Yuri, uh, like when he needs him. He's still just watching the skaters. And there's another moment too when uh, Chris is skating, and he sees the way that Victor is looking at Chris, like he's kind of got like this light in his eyes, mm -hmm. and. Yuri starts looking very concerned. And even uh, Sala notices this as well. There's kind of a quick cut to her kind of looking over at Yuri and being like, what's going on here? And so I think what this is trying to show with Yuri's attempted breakup with Victor is that he is starting to let the pressure get to him because he's realizing that Victor is a pretty free spirit and that just because they're working together now doesn't mean that he's not going to be going elsewhere as soon as they're finished. I guess. Um, the only the only issue I take with that is if we are to take seriously what the show was implying in episode 10 about them getting engaged, then why would he so immediately believe that that was something they need to break off. Like, literally the day before they got engaged. Less right. than 24 hours ago. And I guess, to be fair, you can argue they kind of did it in haste. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe... Because, think of it like this. Yuri got, like... And I think this is another big problem with the series, is that we don't have a very good sense of time. Like, right, yeah, they're like, oh, well, it's been eight months. And you're like, it's been eight months? <laughs> it feels eight months. I feel like they just started skating together yesterday. Or maybe not yesterday, but I feel like it's only been like seven days. Yeah, exactly. And we don't get enough of that in-between time. Yeah. Uh, to kind of see how the relationship has progressed and gone. 
I don't mind the fact that it's been like a day later and they're tr and Yuri's trying to break it off because again, I think that's speaking to Yuri's insecurities here. You know, he kind of did this he's kind of gotten wrapped up in Victor's lifestyle who tends to do things on a whim and he's becoming more and more like Victor. Right. As we kind of saw last episode where he's like, you know, I'm fine with blowing off practice if you want to go out shopping or something like that. Yeah. I don't want to change your style of life. And so I think with this breakup, Yuri is realizing that Victor doesn't want to, like, live a normal, tied-down life. He wants to go out and be free. He wants to live on his own terms. And he, I think he's realizing, you know, Victor's not gonna... You know, he... This is fun for him, but he's not really taking this seriously. And I think in this episode, we do see that Victor is trying to take it a little bit more seriously than we realize, because he has this whole thing, this whole internal monologue about how he wants to, you know, he, he realizes, you know, I've always tried to live my life on my own, but, you know, now I think I've found that it's okay to maybe reach out to people sometimes. Right. But I don't think Yuri realizes that Victor's had that realization, and again, that's the other problem, is that if you're not really paying close attention to this episode, you're going to miss all of that. Well, it's not that I didn't... I'm not saying that I you didn't. I know, I know, I'm I... not taking that personally. What, what what bothers me is... Yeah, it's like, it's like you said, Yuri... Is is it just because Yuri thinks that Victor's a free spirit? But literally every time, you know, the few times that we've heard narration through Victor, everything he's expressed has been about how, oh, I want to change my lifestyle. I want to be committed to a community and, a, like, a group of people and have a support system, and I've never felt as good as I do when I'm with Yuri. Um, and is he just, like, does, does Yuri have no idea? Does he think he needs to win gold in order for Victor to care about him? Right. And if he does... Well, clearly that's an unstable relationship anyway, if they aren't even able to communicate that much. Right, and I don't actually have a problem with that. The problem is they haven't really done the work to establish that yet. Right. And because it's like, I think what we're talking about here is is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, And I think if the series had the time to flesh it out, it would have. But it's not doing the work to do the characterization for Victor. We're having to do all the work ourselves for that. Yeah, it's like all, all the characterization happens in these quick snippets between skating routines. Where you're just right. trying to grasp at straws for development. Right. And again, you know, we talked about during Haikyuu, like, one of the things that we really liked about that was how, you know, they kind of assumed that you knew what you were talking about. Like, they... They gave credit to the viewer, and they knew that they would understand things. At the same time, I don't... But, you know, they still put down the information that was needed there. And I feel like, for Yuri, uh, they're just... They're not doing that. Yeah. They're, like... It's it's going by way too fast, because a lot of this, I didn't think up until after I watched the episode. And I really had to think about yeah. it. Yeah, and even if you think about it, it doesn't mean that it was done well... It just means that, well, this might be what they're doing. You know, on some level, it doesn't give right. you enough to be sure of what they're doing. Right. I, I feel pretty sure because, again, I, it has been building up a theme here. <clears throat> but the problem is that of that theme of Yuri has... About Yuri wanting to make sure that Victor only had eyes for him 
it keeps coming and going from the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, we're spending all this time with all of these other characters, and we don't really have a good grasp of Yuri's motivations. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I say that it didn't feel like a Yuri on Ice episode, it was because I didn't feel like there was anything that really sizzled. You know, there wasn't anything that you could take away and be like, oh my gosh, this, you know. Because traditionally, what's made Yuri on Ice such a popular series is that most every episode has a moment or a few moments that you can point to and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. You know, for, for, for good or for ill... That's what's built up its popularity. This, I mean, other than well-animated skating, it didn't really have anything specifically that was very exciting. Um, And, you know, maybe it's setting up the finale, but it felt like any setting up it did was sort of incidental to the six skating routines it also had to portray. Right. And, And that's kind of another problem I have, kind of changing the subject here a little bit, is that... Odebeck kind of came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and we're trying... And the series is basically assuming that we know the character. Yeah, it's, like, it's, we it's got, saying we know the character off, like, a five-minute interaction with Yurio in episode 10. Right, and again, that was maybe something... That was maybe enough to kind of establish his character, because we, we understand that because of his interaction with Yurio... And understanding that, you know, he thought he saw uh, a kinship with him because he also thought that Yurio had this, he had the eyes of a soldier, yeah. you know. He he saw this as a guy, as another guy who viewed skating the same as him. Somebody who would, who viewed it just as like Sure, but why are we rooting for him? Right, and I guess that's the thing because we aren't. And I guess I just don't also understand why JJ was suddenly... Okay, that's that's not fair. I do understand why JJ was suddenly brought down to earth by Odebeck. I do actually understand that. There's like a like a split second cut to him thinking about Odebeck yeah. though, and we don't have enough of a connection to Odebeck and an understanding of where he's coming from for us to, and we don't really even have enough understanding of JJ's motivations to really understand why this has affected him. Well, yes, yeah. and that, that's that's like, the thing. All of JJ's development that could inform us about why he would perform poorly is done while he's performing poorly. Right. And, again, I actually really like the sequence with JJ because I like the fact that he's this character who has built him up, who's basically lived a charmed life and has never once even thought about the consequences of his actions and has suddenly realizing, I've built myself up so much do the people that I've been trying to perform for even care about me? Because I really like that whole thing where he flashes back to his fiance and thinks to him, and like, hey, you know, baby, if I win the gold, you're gonna, we're gonna get married. And it's, and it's kind of like, he's realizing just now, oh my god, what am I lose? Is she not gonna want to be yeah. with me? I mean, and I guess we're I, su- we're supposed to see the parallel between that and Yuri, what, like his moment of panic. Yeah, his moment of panic. I think we're supposed to see the parallel there, and we're supposed to make the connection with Yuri. Because Yuri even says during that routine that he understands where J.J. is coming mm-hmm. from, and he's not going to laugh at it. Yeah, because he's been there, like, the last Grand Prix. He, he got sixth. Yeah, exactly. So he understands, like, hey man, I understand the challenge you... I understand the challenge you've taken on here, and, you know, I respect the heck out of it. Yeah, I'm glad they... 
as a side note, since uh, this is the the number one JJ fan podcast, uh, <laughs> I am glad that they chose to redeem him as a character, where like he became a little more human. I mean, right. Ultimately, my dream for this show would be that JJ wins, gives a flawless performance, and laughs and patronizes everyone. Um, <laughs> but clearly, they couldn't actually do that. Uh, it just would have made me right. laugh. Um, right. No. I and then understand. he and then he marries I, Victor. I, uh, but then, that's that's my dream. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's not going to be reality. Yeah. No. I get you. Um. That's the thing, though, is that I like that they tried to make his character... Like, I'm glad that he's not just... I'm glad that he actually has some connection to his fans, and he's not just, like... Yeah. And he... Like, using him. No, he's legitimately concerned that they're going to dislike him now because he gave a bad performance. He's, he's legitimately terrified about the fact that his fiance is going to leave. Yeah, him. and I, I did like that because you got to establish... Okay, he's quote-unquote the bad guy if there is a bad guy in this show uh he's the obstacle to overcome whatever but he's actually just a really confident guy who cares about his friends and family and loves his girlfriend and like you know there's not really much to to criticize so I, i appreciated that redemption um but again here's my issue i got a lot more out of jj's performance than i did out of yuri's and yuri's name is in the title um right there i didn't get much of anything from that it's like well he did fine that was what i got out of his performance (laughs) i think that was kind of what you were supposed i'm gonna go ahead and defend it and i think that's kind of what you were supposed to get out of it because his whole thing was like he's having this realization while he's skating i'm not gonna be able to beat jj unless i really push myself because even if i do the best at my normal routine it's not gonna be enough again though here's the problem we don't really have a good understanding of... Why it was fine what, and not great. Right, why it was just fine, why... Like, again, I guess during the JJ performance, okay, he's only doing single uh, axles rather than triple axles. That's obvious. Like, okay, I get that that's worse. But the problem is that we don't really know how the skating scoring works. Yes, yeah. and the same thing happened with and, um, Pitchett, because you saw Pitchett's performance and Yuri sort of commented that you know, Pitchett was able to get the crowd on his side more, and that he wasn't concerned with winning or losing. He just wanted to... He was so happy that he could do his best with the song that he had an emotional connection to. Um, right. And yet he got a lower score than Yuri. And you're like, okay, but why? You didn't actually see any errors. You, so since we don't see... The only thing we can see as an audience are errors. We can't, like, derive technical scores because the show won't tell us except for specific situations. Right. Again, like, a couple episodes ago when we had that Korean skater, that was the most insight we had ever gotten into the Mm -hmm. scoring. And I think this series has a really, really strong core. I really do. This really needed to be 24 episodes, though. I mean... Because I think, I think all of the, I think all of the pieces are there. And honestly, I really like this episode because I could still see all of the pieces there. Like, there's still a lot of really good content in there. A lot of interesting content. But it's making me work just a little bit too much to see what I want to see. So what are your expectations for the finale? (sighs) I think if this was an ongoing series, I'm pretty sure Yuri would pull off a good score. He'd pull a decent comeback in the end 
but I do believe that we would probably see the victory go to Chris, believe it mm. or not. Because it would be establishing, it would be this new establishment of this He's new, new victor, this new figure to take down. Maybe JJ would come in at the end, and really nail it, and give like a lot of pressure, like just before Yuri's yeah. performance. I'm not gonna see. I since the series is ending, they might do a second season, but I think Yuri's just gonna come out and win. I think because I think that's why he's in fourth place and not in last place at this so point. So it's possible. So it's basically possible for yeah. him to. Or I mean, the other thing that they could have done is basically have him lose this and then go and then just pull out an absolutely beautiful, breathtaking routine to actually get him up to first. But since this is still seems to be rooted in some realism, they kept him at fourth. Okay, I uh, my 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 expectation is a little different. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it, it's fun to guess who you think is going to win. I don't think Yuri is going to win. Let's operate on the assumption that this is the end of the show for now, or at least, okay. you know, they don't have immediate plans to definitely get a second season or anything. Um, right. And I haven't heard anything that would indicate that they do. Um, but I mean, they probably will with how successful it's been. Anyway. Um, of course. Either way, really, we know there's not one coming in winter. So, uh, I I think Yuri's not going to win. I think he is going to have okay. his best score on uh, his second program. But I think that he's going to get second place. Um, and he's going to be crushed, but he's going to decide this is for the best. And, you know, Victor's been looking at Chris and or Yurio anyway so i'm gonna let him you know go back to russia and it's the best for both of us and i'm grateful for our time together he's gonna say that and then victor's gonna say no why would i leave you know well, don't these rings mean anything and he'll say what and then they'll have a reconciliation um uh no i i'm gonna put a slight alteration on that he's gonna seemingly leave at first then when yuri gets home he's just like gonna a day later there. victor shows up yeah yeah there you go yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe Yuri just, like, slips off by himself and doesn't even want to say goodbye or something, and then is like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then Victor just shows up. And he's eating a pork cutlet bowl. (laughs) There you go. Bring it around. Actually, now I'd be surprised if all of that doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think your prediction was better. It would be a little bit of a shame, though, because this show could really develop these characters if they break off this relationship and make them like learn more about themselves apart and then in like a theoretical second season maybe have a right. different kind of relationship because realistically their relationship isn't super healthy and they don't super understand each other or communicate or know much about each other um so it's probably for the best and again like if the series kind of showed that a little bit more i think that would be really interesting for them to go into but they're not really doing yeah. that i don't know um, so right. we'll, we'll, we'll so, see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to, to seeing how it ends, but man, uh, this show has been so popular. There's so many expectations built into it that I don't know how it can possibly meet all of them, but we'll see. Yeah. And anyway, you want to go on to March comes in like a I lion? I sure do. All right. So March comes in like a lion episode 11. Um, it starts off sort of with an, another conversation uh it has has some kind of a, a setup where ray and has to talk to kyoko again 
and she antagonizes him about his next match. So Ray's going to be uh, going up against another elderly uh, shogi player named Yasui, who is in the middle of a divorce, and their match is on Christmas Eve, and Yasui's, so Yasui, after his, his divorce, is going to be losing custody of his daughter, and so this is going to be the last Christmas he spends with his daughter. Also, he's a violent drunk, and whenever he's drunk, he, like, hurts the people he loves, which is a fun fact. Um, <laughs> and so she's like, well, you know, I wonder what's going to happen. It might be a bad Christmas if you beat him, and he's awful to his family. Wouldn't that be tough, Ray? Uh, so, j again, trying to get in his head, and he, it, you know, on one level it works, uh... He, he thinks back to how much he hates Christmas, Ray does, uh, because of when he was growing up with his adoptive family, how um, Kyoko and his brother both got toys for Christmas, but his uh, adoptive father gave uh, gave Ray a, a sh like an expensive shogi set, and that sort of set him apart as being the favored son, even though he wasn't biologically their son, and he, he always still regretted and felt guilty about getting that gift and creating more of a rift between um, Kyoko and her father. Um, they sort of, they once they actually get to the match itself, initially there's no narration. It's a whole separate chapter where uh, no words are said. The, the you, you observe the shogi match and you just sort of interpret based on the anxiousness of Yasui and the calm demeanor of Rei that Rei is in command of the match. The music sort of tells the story. Uh, you follow this well, and then uh, at the very end of the chapter, uh, Yasui concedes. And then in the, the last chapter of the, the episode, the uh, Yasui sort of mutters about how he made a stupid mistake and he could have won. Um, and Ray thinks about how he sort of gave up as soon as he realized he made a mistake. Uh... They get in an argument because Ray tries to give him back his Christmas present, and Yasui yells at him uh, for ruining Christmas. Ray then sprints off by himself and screams about how it's not his fault that he's better at shogi. Why does everyone blame me for everything? It's your fault that you're weak. Uh, it's your fault that you're a drunk. Um, I don't have anything but shogi, so when I'm in there, I'm going to win. Uh, and he sort of resigns himself to being someone who needs to fight to win even if it hurts people okay so i there's not a lot of meat to this episode but i still really liked it a lot what i thought was really interesting about it was that so the series has been kind of going in this little formula of ray kind of meets with somebody new he has a conversation with them we kind of get into this new perspective on you know this is how this person lives their life and this is how Ray feels like he's affecting mm -hmm. them. This episode was an inversion of that. I think Ray was expecting to meet with this guy and have this little lesson with him, but he was denied. Well, it. yeah, and it was exactly it, it was supposed to sort of mirror the last episode with Matsunaga, where he beat Matsunaga, yeah, exactly. and they had this great talk, and he learned a lot. This was nothing like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, he didn't get his lesson. He didn't. He got the full blame. This was just a normal dude who didn't want to accept his own problems and was throwing blame onto other people. And Ray is finally realizing 
I can't take the blame for this mm-hmm. one. And that's a big inversion from how he's generally been acting anytime something goes wrong. Because, for example, you know, with the fact that his family fell apart, well, or his adoptive family fell apart, he was blaming himself a lot for getting into that life. Even though he was doing what was best for mm-hmm. him. This episode shows him sort of owning up to his own problems. It's him finally having the courage to kind of deflect some of the blame away from him, from himself. Here's the problem, though. He didn't do it to that guy. He just sort of did it to this nameless crowd. Yeah, I mean, he was just... Uh, that was the Yeah, town. exactly. He was just yelling vaguely into the atmosphere. It, it kind of came off as somebody who was ranting online about their workplace, but didn't actually have the uh, the courage to actually talk with the person who affected them. Yeah, I mean... If that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, so what'll be interesting to see moving forward is if this was a healthy or an unhealthy development for Ray. Um, because right. at the end, he's sort of, like, collapsed, and even though he's angry and defiant, he feels kind of defeated. And he, he sees this competitive drive in him he actually sees it as something he's a little bit guilty about he's like this is who i am but there's a monster inside me that refuses to lose um and so i'm not sure if that will make him more resigned to not being empathetic with people right and whether or not that's actually going to be a healthy thing for him. Because this is actually something he's he's needed to do for a while, is to quit feeling all this empathy for other people. And, like, because, for example, with Nikaido, he was trying to pity him by trying to lose, and Nikaido was like, well, screw you, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm-hmm. You need to come at me with everything you got. With Matsunaga, this was a man, old man who was like, yeah, I was going to try and make you pity me, but I could see it didn't work, so I was just trying to save face. Yeah. And so... My f- but with this guy... Go oh, go ahead. All right. Well, my fear is just that he will... He, that is an appropriate lesson to learn for, you know, a competitive sport. That it's, only, it's right. only... It's up to you to do your best, and you can't be held accountable for what happens to someone else who loses in a sport, you know? But right. my fear is that he will take it too far, that this becomes sort of a mantra of his life, you know? That... He right. sort of goes he goes down the path of Soya where victory is the only thing that matters. He doesn't have to worry about how he affects other people. Um I don't know. That that's 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 where I'm seeing them setting up a conflict. Right. So that'll be interesting if they go down that route because before we were idolizing Soya in the series, it was this idol, this kind of this almost like religious figure that Ray was kind of chasing after because he wanted to speak to Uh them and understand and he kind of viewed him in this sort of like idealistic Uh light well this kind of shows that maybe if all he cares about is conquest and becoming the champion does that mean he's going to cut off any of his all of his you know all of his like support system like people like Nikaido or the sisters who actually seem to genuinely care about Rey yeah I don't know. So I thought I thought it was a good episode mostly for what it can set up thematically. Um, I loved right. the the middle chapter, like I alluded to, where they had the match and there were no there was no narration, yes. there was nothing spoken. Um, you just got to infer it, and I realized this is how they're gonna. Sh- they're n- they they may not break down the exact strategy of Shogi, but this is how they're gonna tell it. They're gonna tell it artistically, where you can feel what's happening. Right. And I think, if anything, and... that's probably 
better because it's not the style of show where you need to learn the tactics you just need to know what's important yeah exactly it's again we were kind of complaining during yuri on ice that we don't understand enough of the game here it's actually not that relevant to what's going on. right because what is Um, important even if we don't understand the technicalities it's still communicated the issue with yuri was that it doesn't necessarily even communicate what differentiates good from exceptional right and that was kind of the interesting thing i i agree with you definitely on this whole sequence where they're playing the game what i really love is how completely uncertain it is because they're playing with the fact that you don't you probably don't understand how shogi is Uh played because while you're watching them you don't actually know who's in the lead or not during this entire match it's kind of this whole it's this very tense is ray gonna give up here or is he actually going to keep going with this and you don't really it's a very blank scene that works very well because of that because it's playing off the tension of it you're not really watching even the shogi pieces move you're watching them do very small actions like meticulously grabbing their uh their handkerchief and just dabbing their head with it or grabbing a drink and seeing what drinks they are Mm -hmm. getting yeah and you're seeing like oh yasui knocked over his bottle but Reyes is still standing up you know it communicates who's in control of their emotions who isn't um Right. And uh, honestly, that was that was a real highlight. I mean, it uh, it, it, was, it might have been a highlight of the series for me so far. Just um, I was like, this this is how you should show sports that no one's gonna understand. <laughs> and you're not. And how to show sports nobody's gonna understand. And this series is not really about world well, race for that. Yeah. Part. I mean, it is. Um, hey, d- don't get dangerous. It's definitely a sports series, but it's also other things. Yeah. It, this is. Yes, that is true. I think that's one of those things, because a lot of people I have heard talked to have told me, yeah, this not, that's not really a sports series. It absolutely is a sports series. This is absolutely the story of a somebody who is getting wrapped up in competition and is trying to come to terms with mm-hmm. that. Trying to figure out how to separate his personal identity from his competitive identity. Like, this is these are questions you want to see in sports series. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, honestly... You're right, there wasn't a ton of meat, but I, I thought it was just a well-executed, ec- even if it doesn't necessarily build into a ton later, it was a well-executed independent episode, just as, I know, a piece right. of art. Uh, one other thing we, I want to discuss before we move on, I do want to uh, discuss that interaction with Kyoko just okay. a little bit. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. So the whole reason that they're even meeting up in the first place is because... Kyoko apparently left her watch at Ray's right. place. What I thought was interesting about that scene was if you lo- if you watch that scene when he's looking for the watch, it's like stuffed behind a couch cushion. Oh. She, so she I think wanted impl- to force a conversation. Yes, exactly, because she knows Ray isn't going to do it himself. Unless, of course, it's to try and gloat. This is kind of her means of trying to reassor- reassert uh, her authority over Ray. Oh. And Ray, by his own admission, actually kind of likes it a little bit. Because, again, in her mind, dominance is how she establishes that she cares about mm-hmm. somebody. Yeah. It was um, it was unsettling to see the way that she could tried to get in his head and tried to manipulate him. And that that was, like, her right. idea of fun. And that he wasn't totally uncomfortable with it. So it's... Yeah, she's not going away. We had this moment of, oh yeah, Ray beat Kyoko last week, but mm, not permanently. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, it's not really over. It, it, he won a battle. He didn't win the war. Yeah. So, speaking of uh, battles, do you want to discuss <laughs> All Out? Oh, absolutely. So, in this episode, this, of course, uh, follows up immediately from where we were last week. We learned the name of that hooded figure at Rioan Academy. Yep, that's the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so we discovered that this guy's name is uh, Zanba Ryujin. And he is apparently the team's secret best member. He is, uh, he goes out onto the field. He wear, he's actually the, uh, I believe he's wearing the number eight jersey, but he's actually playing the number nine position. Uh Or is he actually wearing the number nine? Because there's this whole discussion about how, he should be playing like a defender or something like that because the whole thing his whole thing is that he's just gi- absolutely gigantic yeah but he's actually he's actually playing the position he's playing the scrub half which is generally better suited for people who are smaller and with more mm-hmm. agility however what we they discover watching this game is that no he's actually absolutely suited to be the scrum half because the entire uh, rugby is played uh, you, you can only pass the teammates who are behind you. So the fact that this guy is so huge means that nobody can stop him as he runs forward with the ball until he, uh, so he can actually clear more distance by essentially being the leader at, because it takes so many people just to stop him right. once. And so after this, they, uh, Gion and what's the name of the other guy who's with him? I never actually caught his yeah, name. Yeah, it's Kamo. Oh, uh, that's Kamo. Okay. So, Gion and Kamo stop off at a sporting goods store on the way home, and they're looking at some cl- uh, some soccer cleats or some rugby cleats. Uh, they mention that uh, Gion can wear soccer cleats. It's not really important in the episode. <laughs> uh, but while they're there, they actually meet uh, Sakito, who we met last episode, uh, as, the, uh, as the flanker of their team, along with another character by the name of Kakuto, who actually happens to be Sakito's brother. And they meet there, and they talk for a little bit, and Sakito, we discover, is actually a gigantic otaku. Uh, they, he and Gyan have a conversation where they discover that they discover that they both watched the same show, the same anime, which was uh, uh, Miraculous Rinrin, a magical girl series where she doesn't actually know how to use her magic staff, but just beats enemies over the head yeah. with them. And we discover in this conversation that Sakito uh, actually joined the rugby team to impress his waifu. I wish I was joking about that. Not really, but I. That is absolutely yeah. the reason. In the in the the most recent volume of uh, the manga for Magical Girl Rurinrin, he found out that Rinrin's type is strong guy, so he had to become strong, right. and he joined the rugby team because his brother played rugby. And he's like, hey, that's a great way for me to exactly. get strong. Exactly. I hear our team is strong. I want to be strong for my waifu. <laughs> and uh, as it turns out, he managed to do it. So uh, Sakito decides he likes Gion because it reminds him, he reminds him of Re- uh, uh, Ririn's uh, rival character, Ruru. Yeah. <laughs> who apparently wants to become strong like yeah, Ririn. Exactly. It's all a and lot so of he's parallels. Like, hey! Yeah, exactly. So he challenges. Uh, Gion to a map to a race on a uh, on a jungle dim. Well, not a race, a, ma- a match of tag. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Hey, if you can even catch me, I'll consider you to be uh, uh, a decent position for a flanker because that's what Gion, that's the position Gion wants to move mm-hmm. to." 
And so, and he tries to do this, and he can't catch Sakito. And Sakito uh, moves the game onto the ground and is like, okay, well, we'll just change this up now. Why don't we just try, even if you can catch me on the ground. And Gyan can't do it. And Sakito's like, yeah, I misread you, man. I, I was totally wrong about that. But Kakuto ju uh, jumps in and says he wants to test uh, Gyan. And he wants him to essentially tackle him. He wants to see if Gyan can get past him as if he were on offense. And at the end of this, Kakuto decides, hey, you're actually going to be a pretty decent flanker after all because you don't give up, essentially. Yeah. I, I, I liked how it ended that sort of turned it around for me because I was going to... I was a little frustrated with them sort of implying that Guillaume was so bad he could never, ever play rugby, you know. Um, but... Right. And they were going to try and pull that whole plot twist. It's like, no, in their, in their final match versus uh -huh. uh, Rio and Academy, it's like, no, they proved to him that he's going to, them that he's actually like this really yeah. great. Yeah, but no, he proves it right away because Kokuto is sort of like, well... Guillaume is stronger than you were when you started Rugby Sekito, uh, and yeah. he cares, and he really wants to learn, and he wants to work hard, and that's literally exactly the skill set that you had, and you ended up being, you know, the best flanker in the prefecture, so there's nothing stopping him. If anything, he's ahead of where <laughs> you were when you were a first year. Um, right, exactly. So I like I liked that and they I... undermined it immediately um, with the Kokuto character who I, I kind of am a fan of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, what I really like about that, again, it kind of goes back to this past conversation we've had about how these characters actually feel like real high school students. Mm -hmm. Sakito is just this really cocky high school student. Yeah, he's kind of this, you know, otaku type character, but he also doesn't seem to understand that he's not he's not developed enough to actually empathize with Gion and not see... You know, he doesn't see that Yan is where he was just a few months ago. Well, he's not self-aware. Not a few months, a few years. Well, yeah, a few years. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, he realizes, hey, you know, he he doesn't have that level of empathy yet. Yeah. And I kind of appreciate that they're staying pretty consistent about their depiction of these uh, of these high school students. Yeah. I, um, I liked it. I thought also. I, I just thought it was nice because they kept the focus pretty tight. Um, you know, one of the things I was worried about going into this show is you have a rugby team, and there's so many members on there that there's a real risk of spreading it. You know, spreading the attention too far. We've complained about that a little bit about how it doesn't seem clear who the main character is sometimes, but they have at least limited it to a select group from the. Uh, from the rugby team Thus, exactly so yeah. so you're you were only exposed to a few characters at a time basically the the whole episode was the the three Rioan academy players and then um Gion and Kamo the the whole episode so you got to get a lot of exposure to them get really comfortable around them and it didn't feel like it was forcing too much and one of the things we talked about after um we watched this was how nice it is that they're developing Rio in now when there's, you know, surely uh, Jinko's not going to be playing Rio in anytime soon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's putting in the work now to get the payoff later. Like, a lot of sports series have this problem of just going into the different schools, uh, essentially match mm -hmm. by match, 
even IQ ran into this problem a little bit uh, because they they spent an entire their entire first season essentially building up uh, Nakoma and uh, Alba Josai, and they didn't only even got through Alba Josai at the very end of season two. Spoiler, sorry. Uh, hmm. However, like the whole thing with uh, Shiratori Zawa that was built up, like. You know, they kind of had to throw that in in the middle of Season 2. Whereas here, we've got kind of these three big schools already that we know that they're establishing a rivalry with, with uh, Keijo, Sagami, and Ryoin. Mm -hmm. And they're putting in the work now so they don't have to worry about establishing this entire new set of characters later down the road. Yeah, so hopefully once we actually get to the inner high, you know, they can cruise through the, the forgettable schools at the beginning, and then you can focus on the big schools that you're already expecting to play. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I I like the fact that we're getting attached to them now rather than having to sort of force ourselves to get to know these characters, you know, later when they're actually playing the game. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'd like to discuss on that end is I thought I would actually hate Sakito as soon as we found out he was an otaku because they, a lot of anime, they have this very self-loathing view of otaku because they realize that otaku are the ones who are watching the show, but also kind of have to make fun of them. And I kind of am really amused with the fact that, no, this guy actually got super strong because he was super obsessed with the girl character from his favorite Magical Girl series. Like, it's it's kind of a weird character trait, but it's it's kind of those goofy character traits that I really appreciate sometimes from, from different sports series. Yeah. Um, I thought that his show that he watched actually sounded really funny. I kind of liked how it was kind of this intentionally silly, dumb-sounding series, but I love that they're trying to play it off as actually being one of these, like, dark Magical Girl series that have been getting really popular recently, like Magical Girl Raising Project or, uh, or uh, Madoka. Yeah. It, I thought, I, I, I don't know. I, I had very little to complain about this week. Um, so there's there's a reason that we moved all out into the, the third slot, which is that we're pretty much enjoying it every week. It had a bit of a rough start, but it's really become one of our favorite shows this season. And, you know, I'm really happy, too, because I really wanted to like this show because it's this is inevitably going to become the rugby show. Because, you know, okay, so Day sucks. Mm -hmm. I don't care that Day sucks, because it's soccer. It's not the first soccer anime that's ever been made. Lord knows it's not going to be the mm -hmm. last. But I really wanted to like All Out from the beginning, because this is going to be the only anime that rugby gets. At least for a while, yeah. At least for a long time. So, you know what? I'm happy to see that the series is actually starting to get pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, speaking of the things that are fun for different reasons, uh, would you like to discuss some Tiger Mask with me? Oh, let's do it. Okay. So, we are on, uh, Tiger Mask episode 11. Um, <laughs> so we are, basically it follows the, the conclusion of the first round of the Masked tournament, and, um... So Tiger Mask has had this revelation after his fight with Mr. Question that he needs an original killer move. So basically, T Tiger Mask spends the whole episode trying to figure out what how he can make his own original killer move. Um, 
And Tanahashi offers him help. He says, hey, you can come train at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Gym. Uh, and so he does, and he spends the week with the New Japan Pro Wrestling guys. Um, and so Tanahashi and Rainmaker just spend the whole day attacking Tiger Mask and using all their moves on him so that he can <laughs> get some revelation about his own killer move so tana does all his all his killer moves including winners like high fly flow and twist and shout in which he twists him around and then (laughs) shouts uh um eventually he brings tiger mask to a waterfall and tells him to meditate under the waterfall and consider killer moves (laughs) and it's a meditative thing what do you want exactly and it works and afterwards tiger tiger mask asks tanahashi and ryu to at to attack him with flaming spears (laughs) (laughs) um and so that he can uh try out his new move and he starts doing like trying to do a somersault kick and he's like it's still a work in progress keep attacking me and that sort of wraps up the episode uh mean meanwhile they have a couple scenes too with um, Takuma slash Tiger the Dark, where he talks to a reporter and nothing happens, and he uh, runs on a treadmill with Yellow Devil and looks angrily at him while running, um, and brings his dad pudding in the hospital and is ashamed of himself and goes away, <laughs> um, and that's that's about <laughs> it. Uh, it was it was goofy, memorable for. Um, Tiger Mask and entirely forgettable for Tiger the Dark. I just want to bring up one other weirdly memorable thing about this episode before we actually discuss it as well. We see a lot of scenes of the masked characters in just normal clothes and it really made me happy. Well, yeah. I mean, Tiger Mask spends all day, every day with the New Japan Pro Wrestling guys in his Tiger Mask, which has to be filthy and disgusting by this point. Um... (laughs) <laughs> and the same thing with Fukuwara, who's just, like, wearing a, a, a zip-up hoodie like, and his And a sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, and he's just wearing his mask. It's just like, yeah, this is Fukuwara's off day. What can I say? Fukuwara mask is going to dress comfy yeah, today. exactly. Uh, or just, like, with uh, with Tiger Mask, and just a man in a Tiger Mask walking around in his sporty short shorts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, he doesn't really... <laughs> There's never been a reaction shot of someone being like, why is that man wearing a tiger mask? That's weird. It's weirdly real, and it doesn't seem to understand how strange this looks. Yeah. Um, I mean, it. they have had those shots with Fukuwara mask, with other people being like, oh, hey, is that a wrestler? Why is he on the train? But never right. with a tiger mask. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but know. yeah. So yeah, I, what do you think about the fact that tiger mask... So he asked the uh, Ryu and uh, Tanahashi to attack him with flaming spears. Right. He's, but it's just like so he asked them after he does this uh, this like this uh, flip kick yeah. uh, to be like, okay, no, keep coming at me. I'm still thinking about it. Why is it all of a sudden? Then it's just like, okay, Tanahashi comes up and is like, hey, okay, I'll just do it by myself. Yeah. And why does this give him insight into doing a better move? I mean, I don't know. There's no explanation because they'll have to explain it in a flashback next episode about how he how he discovered right, like 
it's ridiculous. They're, I'm sure they'll have a like a five minute narration about how he discovered the way to dodge specifically flaming spears. That's what got me. I think <laughs> it's like if yeah, why? I guess to add a real sense of danger to it. I guess uh, I don't know. I mean, like why not just a stick? Like if you're just trying to simulate someone stabbing at you. Why does it need to be on fire? I mean, I I enjoyed it. It made me laugh, (laughs) but uh, I'm not sure that was the intent. Uh, I I don't know if the series is self-aware enough to realize it. Um, Yeah, I just... I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of I don't know with this this show. Um, Um, So one thing I do want to bring up... So, because the people who are using the killer moves against Tiger Mask are also, like, the real wrestlers. So, I think we were in this episode. This was supposed to be, like, a preview for people who live in Japan and want to go see wrestling matches. It's like, yeah, you can watch these guys do really do this in real life. Yeah, because they Cause literally we went through watch... and showed all of the moves of both the two real wrestlers that they've introduced. Yeah, exactly, with uh, Tanahashi and Rainmaker. Not only that, but they had this guest appearance by this character by the name of Nida, who I think speaks with... uh, He throws in random Portuguese into... It's either Portuguese or Spanish. Uh, I I know a little Portuguese, but I think he was doing Portuguese. Uh, So I guess he's supposed to be a Brazilian fighter. I'm only assuming Brazilian because I know Japan has a... uh, The big expat population. Has a very... Yeah, they uh, for the minority population, they have one of the biggest. Uh, Brazilian is the biggest non-Asian immigrant uh, population. Well, that, that's partly because there's so many Japanese in Brazil, so there's a lot of cross. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, um, I have no idea. I, I I agree with you that it was probably a reference to someone real for the 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 fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which have to be the only people watching this show, right? <sighs> I assume maybe kids are watching it. To- uh, the production company who does this is yeah. Toei, and they do a lot of like the Shonen Jump shows because they do the dra- they do all of Dragon Ball, they do One Piece. Oh. I think they did Naruto as well, and so they kind of they kind of have the uh, the stranglehold in Japan for kids anime. Yeah. So I think uh, this is really meant to appeal to kids too. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to criticize it too much for that, but. God, this series is weird. Yeah. Alright, well, you want to move on to another weird series? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do Scorch and Pink Ball Alright, tell me about this most exciting recent episode. The... Oh, my God. Okay, so the episode begins with Agari being very concerned about the way she's playing. Uh, apparently, she's really disappointed with the way her match versus Akuro went. Even though she won the match, and she was one of the few who actually won her match. Um, and while they're the, uh, they're going off to this training camp, and or they're doing like some sort of special training, and while they're there, there's a new character who's introduced, like, two episodes away from the ending of the yeah. show, by the name of uh, Kumami, who seems to know Agari, they knew each other in the past... And her whole thing is that she has a talking bear hair clip because she's, like, she's a ventriloquist, so whenever somebody tries to interact with her bear hair clip or around that area, she makes the bear clip talk. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Really, really. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, 
Anyway, we find out that she also moved the, to the uh, to the Subane Girls Academy, and they are the best. Uh, Agari and uh, Kumami used to be former teammates. Uh, and they'll go into that a little bit more later. Anyway, they have a bunch of stuff at practice that's really dumb mm-hmm. uh, about their training, and they will not stop and get talking about Mune Mune's breasts. Yeah. Because they have this whole thing where it's like, oh, uh, on the schedule is Mune Mune boob time. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is just, that just there? Just keep going, Matt. We'll get back to it. Yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so during this training session, uh, Kirika seems to play, uh, yeah, you know, we you need to, everybody who's here needs to work on their issues. And she eyes Agari. And Agari's like, great, she realizes. And apparently Agari's big concern is that her smashes aren't very good. And so they go through all this practice that's just not very interesting. And then we have a big hot spring section with uh, Agari. But basically all the girls barring Kirika and Mune Mune. And during this hot spring section, Agari talks about her history with uh, Kumami. How they used to be best friends. And how they used to practice with one each other, all, one another all the time. And then all out of nowhere, she, de- she decided to tell Agari that she was going to be leaving to Subani Academy. Because apparently... She has family that's on the board there, so she got a pretty sweet ride there, but she wouldn't play Agari in this last mm-hmm. match. And that's apparently just tearing up Agari inside, that Kumami just cut things off with her and just didn't want to do this final game with her to say goodbye. And so now uh, Agari has this great resolve after talking with Koyori and all the girls to improve her smash. Mm. So, this was my big takeaway from the episode. I thought you were a driver. Yeah, whatever. You're the driver of the North. Gosh darn it. Right, why are you this concerned about your smashes? You just learn... I like the fact that she learned how to smash to deal with Koyori. Mm. I really like that part of the first three episodes. But smashes aren't your signature. Driving is your signature. Your drive shots. Mm -hmm. Why are you suddenly this concerned about your smashes? Well, yeah. I mean, it's one thing because a smash is the component of how sh- her drives go because she she gets, like, uneven. Like, uh, when she does a drive, the other person is su- supposed to hit it back weakly and then she finishes with a smash. So, yeah, she's right. supposed to have a good smash, but we don't even see her doing the drives that's what bothers me is that they haven't they yeah, haven't brought exactly. up the word drive with her in like five episodes it's like all of a sudden now her big thing is smashes yeah. and it's like i thought smashes were mune mune and koyori's and koyori's exactly. of course well koyori just like her whole thing is that she likes to play ping pong that's that's her motivation yeah. i i don't i don't know what agari's technique is anymore right like I feel like if improving smashes are part of it, fine. But I feel like her big concern should also be... Uh, this needs to be the part of the series where she's trying to improve her drive, like Kuru mm-hmm. did. Like, she sh- should be working on improving her signature move, and maybe incorporating smashes is just part of it. I just don't understand why the smashes are the big thing about it. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's not well-developed. Um... Speaking of something else that's not well-developed, do you want to discuss Kumami? Yeah, okay, so... Again, this is another issue I'm having with Agari's character all of a sudden. Is that her whole thing before was that she only cared about winning, and she forgot about 
the actual joy of playing the game. All of a sudden now, we get this whole thing about this former friend she had with Kumami, who just shows up there. Mm -hmm. She, by her own admission, Kumami has no reason for being there. She just came to see Agari really quickly. Even though her whole backstory is that she just sort of bailed on Agari and just wouldn't tell her anything. Like, this was somebody who wanted to cut Agari from her life, and now, but she showed up because she wanted to see her real quick. Um, and I also don't like the implication what that has with Agari's backstory, because this seems to be implying that Agari has always had this love for ping pong, and I don't know how, how to yeah, describe it. Yeah, it, it undermines how her character started. Um, because at the right. beginning of the show, it was, okay, Agari's the ace. She's always been the ace. She's the dominant player on this team, and she only cares about winning, and the other people are incidental. Um, but is this something she just picked up in the last couple months because she got burned by the the pain of kumami not playing her in ping pong one last time yeah the th but because the thing is that during her backstory she we were getting the implication here that it, she, it was her mother who instilled this exactly because her. her mother was the one who was like you need to find something that you can always mm -hmm. be good at and that this whole mania and obsession with trying to win came from this from her upbringing right so now are they trying to imply that actually this was, it, she got over that because of Kumami and reverted back to it? Yeah, I mean, it's lazy because yeah. um, it, it wasn't just that Agari knew Kumami. Everyone knew Kumami. Right. Like, the whole team was like, oh, hi, Kumami. Uh, person yeah, who hey, was on, person buddy? who was here six months ago. Um, and then decided to leave without more than a word yeah exactly which i mean whatever she transferred schools she you know she didn't like move to the united states like um i don't know it doesn't seem i don't understand why it's supposed to be traumatic but i do have a theory and it's um i think they're just using it as a stand-in um because uh, like we discussed in the past this stupid show is using a lot of other things as stand-ins for Yuri baiting. Um, yeah. So they talk about, you know... Uh, the, the the main thing is Koyori and Agari talking about their dynamic ping-pong styles making each other's hearts go doki-doki. Um, of course. Which is just supposed to make you... It's supposed to make the audience understand what they're communicating about you know oh maybe it's something more um and i think that's what what they're trying to do here is create a rival for koyori where oh maybe there's something more maybe agari actually has someone she has more history with what if you know she's still missing the ping pong she never played she plays ping pong with you all the time koyori but she's still longing for that other girl's ping pong if you know what i mean um <laughs> and I, 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 I thought it was upsetting on that level because it was so cheap and random and there was no pre like there was no development for it. They just had her show up right. and everyone's like, oh, we've always known about you. It's like, well, the audience didn't until episode 11 and you want me to care now? Yeah, no, I actually had that same thought while watching this episode. It's like, this is coming awful, coming off awful like a, uh, like a big breakup almost yeah. like she had a uh, 
she was actually in something with this other girl, and no, now Kyoriori is her new thing, but she's really still longing for the old one. Yeah. Uh, it was unfortunate. Uh, um, a couple yeah. other unfortunate things I want to identify, you did allude to them. Um, the training schedule that includes Mune Mune boob time. Um, um, also, let's not forget about the section where all the girls are practicing their swings, and they have a sequential uh, sequen sequence with diminishing returns, with, uh, you know... Yeah. Uh, Mune Mune impressing everybody with her boob shaking, and then just everybody getting less impressed as they go down the uh, the boob rankings. If they yeah, exactly, and it ends up so they show a big bounce for Mune Mune, a medium bounce for Agari, a slight bounce Great. for Koyori, and then Hokutu goes, and her boobs don't even bounce at all. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's so gross. Um, it's like God, and I. There's another scene that actually really got me as well. And, like, that one, it was like, oh, my God, are you really doing this? Because, yeah. at the very least, that's at least meant to be a dumb, cheap joke. Yeah. It's offensive. It's gross. Absolutely. I felt really uncomfortable at the be very beginning of this episode, where Agari is in her room. She wakes up, and we have to watch <laughs> oh! her meticulously. Yeah. Where we have to watch her meticulously just slowly unbutton her PJs. Yeah, and thankfully she doesn't actually take them off. You don't actually see it. But you do see her unbutton down her PJ shirt. And you're like... And, and the camera just lingers yeah, it just sits there. there. It's not looking bit. at her face. It's just looking from above straight down at her chest as she unbuttons her shirt. And you're like, this is yeah. upsetting. Because, I mean, this character is supposed to be 14? 13 14 ish uh it was it was great yeah and it's i just want to say one other thing i am shocked shocked that they showed the restraint during the hot spring scene to not have mune mune there and not do a i know i was waiting for it i mean they they even <laughs> yeah, had i wrote it in my notes they even had like uh steam floating above the water so it could cover up sensitive area and so there was no risk of it crossing a line i'm like you're not crossing a line now <laughs> it's like uh, yeah no it's crossed the exactly. line exactly but i just i cannot believe they passed up passed that up I like i know i am they, they managed to like sit around naked and talk about panties but like that's just par for the course at this point yeah, yeah, but it's like, man, I thought for sure the boobit uh, comparisons. Were I know, I, I, yeah, I was positive it was just gonna be exactly like Long Rider, so they avoided that. But they did so much, so many other terrible things that I'm not giving it a pass. Like, here's the weird thing about that scene because that's the scene where Agari starts talking and breaking down and crying about her history with Kumami, and it's like, can you not have a dramatic moment anymore without having to have like creepy naked like creepy ogling scenes like are you that insecure yeah, this this show is a dramatic disappointment but we'll still have more time to talk about that later so <laughs> speaking of uh, shows that are dramatic disappointments do you want to go talk about days not got it yeah, in. good one good good transition and yeah so this is the the final episode of days not ever unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> but for now um, um i think it's supposed to come out in 2018 they said they're having the new season yeah, uh, yeah, it's 2017. Oh, 2017. They they actually did announce it before this episode, but uh, they, they they did announce that they were doing a new series before this episode. Uh, 
they had their final announcement at the very end, though. But anyway, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. Um. Well, it <laughs> it starts uh, right after um, Seiseki scores the last goal, and um, then Maru from Keogawara shouts, "It's not over yet!" And then the ref blows the whistle <laughs> because the match is over. <laughs> Yeah, I just love, like, why... why... <laughs> he had to shout, it's not over yet! Actually, it is. <laughs> um, so, anyway, <laughs> they all finish the match and compliment each other, and then they they go back to the school, and then a bunch of the Seiseki players stand around and talk about how great Tsukamoto is, um, and then they, they are walking back because they have to, like, clean up some stuff at the club oh but someone's it's the middle of the night but someone's out practicing who could it be it's sakamoto he's practicing free kicks and also weeping um because and and kazuma's there sitting in the dark commenting on how sakamoto is you know he's he's angry because he's he did well but he only did well for a beginner and he wants to be a real ace and everyone's like oh man he has the best work ethic we sure love sakamoto uh, but Sakamoto is still sad, um, as he wants he wants to be more helpful. Whatever, uh, and then it cuts to uh, Ubikata walking in to talk to the coach, and uh, he passively refers to her as a prostitute because he's yeah. because she's wearing a different like a sailor school uniform, and she said she had to use it for spying. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Um, and they talk about a game she saw Ryoen play, and then she goes back and studies Ryoen's strategy on her own. And um, in the meantime, Sakamoto and Kazuma have a meeting, just the two of them, in the moonlight, and they decide that they both want to play soccer together. So that was really important information to spend three <laughs> minutes on. Um, and at the end, Ubikata silently... You have a silent montage with music playing over her explanation of the strategy. And then she says she doesn't like soccer, but she wants Seiseki to win. And uh, Sukamoto starts the match by yelling, Seiseki, fight. And that's the end. That's the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's the end. Except, of course, with that one last glorious announcement that it will come back for uh, Seiseki versus Tone Academy. Yeah. Um, so... I, I feel like there's not much more to say <laughs> than, like, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, you mentioned this while we were watching. We did a simul watch for this one. <sighs> Sukamoto has got to be the most unlikable main character I have ever seen. Well, I don't know about ever, but certainly recently. Yeah, he's, he's just such an awful main character because... Everybody is giving Sukamoto credit for, like, they're they're 100% giving credit to Sukamoto for the victory in this game. Even though Kimishiro was the one who were making the shot, who was the one who was making all these, yeah. like, impossible Nobody compliments goals. him. Nobody compliments him at all. But it's all, oh, Sukamoto really was the one who won this Exactly, because if he hadn't gotten yet, fouled, they never would have gotten the free kick. It's like... Okay. And you know what? I don't mind 
I would not mind if there was like maybe one you know everybody's praising like Kimishita and there's like a scene where maybe one character who's really experienced is like yeah Kimishita did well but you can't underestimate what Tsukamoto yeah, no. did that would have nope, been fun. not what happened no everybody is talking about how Tsukamoto won that match for them despite the you know Kimishita's doing these impossible shots <laughs> exactly they're saying every yeah, shot he did was one in a hundred and he did it three times yeah exactly he did it three times. And yet, and yet, we have Sukamoto crying to himself about just how terrible he is at this game because he didn't make that one stupid yeah. goal. And it's like, oh my god, you won this yeah, match. Yeah, also, like... Even if you didn't, everybody's giving you credit for yeah, it. Yeah, and there's, there's, this, there's a sequence where... Um, I th- it's it's Cosma who's talking to the the other Seseki guys and he's like, well, you know, why why is it that Sakamoto never breaks under pressure? It's because he's forced his his heart to become hard for competition. You're, yeah, he's he's hardened his heart for battle. That was the line. oh yeah no he's real yeah, exactly. And I'm like he's weeping right now. <laughs> 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 that man is crying about the fact that he missed a shot during the game that they yeah, won exactly i mean i don't i don't know what it's trying to communicate at this point um i uh, yeah all right the oh my god it, it was bad um yeah. it, it was it was almost obscene the amount of time they spent complimenting sakamoto and how but like he just has a really unhealthy attitude like everyone tells him he did well and he just like craps all over himself um tell like complains about how bad he is and how useless he is and what a waste of space he is i'm like dude like calm down like (laughs) i don't know and here's the thing here's the thing the problem with it is that the series is encouraging this Mm -hmm. behavior from exactly yeah because like march comes in like a lion does something very similar with ray but we we're not supposed to like praise ray for doing that we're supposed to we're supposed to feel sympathetic to him but it's the series is clearly not trying to say this is a healthy way to live. Exactly. Yeah. Days is <clears throat> saying if you don't score a goal or get an assist in the game, you should probably lacerate yourself. Yeah, like this is this is encouraging uh ascetic behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and it's encouraging people to just say well, if you aren't perfect, you should probably just work yourself to the bone and, you know, that will be the way that you improve. Um, but it doesn't... Uh, this, this is something we'll we'll probably talk about perpetually with anime. It, an, anime is always having this argument about whether hard work it's, by itself is going to make you great. Right. And that's kind of at the heart of most sports series. You know, it's like this whole dynamic between hard work versus pure talent. Most of the time, hard work wins. But Days is just saying all you need to do is just work really, really, really hard and feel bad for you. Exactly. Um, can we just briefly comment on the fact that the coach called Ubicata a prostitute? Oh, please, yeah, go right, for well, it. Well, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, so, okay, so here's the so here's the thing about that, I think. From what I understand in Japan, it's not even so much prostitution. I mean, it kind of is. 
it's called compensated dating. It's something that's a, it's showing up a lot more. It's becoming a real problem in Japan where girls are, they're not really selling their bodies, but they're letting middle-aged men take them out on right. dates. Yeah, it's it's a form of prostitution, but they're it's not, not necessarily you know, sexual. Um, yeah, exactly. It's more along the lines of creepy old dudes who want to have a high school girlfriend. And a lot of high school girls are kind of falling into this life because, it's, you know, it pays good money. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what he was getting at when he saw her in this sailor uniform. I guess. Was because well, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the traditional school uniform for a yeah. lot of, you know, that's a big fetish for a lot but of guys. But it's not their school uniform, so he assumed that's what it was. Um I don't know. What what got me was that it was so unnecessary. Like it did Yeah, it It was just there yeah, to it, dress Ubikata up in another outfit to make people ogle and like I don't know, call her out and make her seem even more like a sundore when she shuts him down and I don't know if it, it just seemed so so cheap. Um but, you know, I don't really expect anything more I, from Dave. I mean yeah, this is. I mean, it's days. We're not talking about. We're not talking about Yuri or Haikyuu here. We're talking about days. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not disappointed. I'm just. I, I'm just <laughs> sad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saddened by the. So series. you want to uh, talk about another series that makes me sad? Oh please. Uh, so uh, you want to talk about Keijo uh, then? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is the final match in the uh, the East West War. Uh, we have all of the character. We have this final matchup. So we have uh, Nozomi, uh, Hanabe, or Hanabi, and uh, Rinrin on their side, along with some other girl who I'll get into a little bit later. But as of right now, she's completely nameless. Okay. Uh, versus uh, the Saruga Academy side of uh, we have Maya, who was established earlier. And then we also have uh, three other characters that have come out with her. We have Tai, or Tai whose whole thing is that she's fat. Um, I, I mean, that's what I got from her character. Okay. Uh, we have Midori. She has green hair. Again, about all I gathered from her character. And then we have the only other important member of this team, which is uh, Hikari, who wears like a like a mask. She's, got, she's a masked magician, essentially. Right. I think her whole thing is that she's supposed to be a play on tuxedo mask, except she's in a bikini because it's Keijo. Anyway, so we get uh, very early in the episode. We get a lot of the uh, we get the we get the pairing off of the characters here. So we have Nozomi versus Maya, and then we have Hanabi and Rinrin uh, versus Midori and Hikari. And uh, very quickly, we have Nodomi and Nozomi going up against uh, in Maya in her match with Maya. What's going on is she discovers that Nozomi and th this is going to get really weird. Okay, she has the reason why she can knock nozomi away without actually any sort of windup is that she's mastered qigong which is a chinese form of ki i believe i don't know how real it is but she can essentially shoot it out her butt great and nozomi discovers this because she uh, because she knows she can't use her hands to actually like feel her butt and see what's going on there you know she can only tell based on these quit encounters with her own butt uh so she runs up and she face plants right into her butt and starts sniffing it uh, okay <laughs> and from that though uh this actually freaks out maya a lot you know understandably so 
but Nozomi explains all that to her and discovers, hey, you have you've mastered Qigong because, you know, that would be my first assumption of what somebody can do. And then we kind of flash. We have this very awkward transition between Nozomi, like in the middle of her match. She's like, huh, I wonder how the other girls are doing. Hmm. And, uh, oh, the uh, Hanabi and Rinrin uh, in their match, essentially. And so, essentially, <clears throat> what we get is uh, Hikari's special technique is that she can disappear, you know, like a magician, because she's referred to as the sure. magician. Uh, what she's doing, though, is that her chest is very well oiled up, and so when the sun strikes it, she can cause, like, a glare from her breasts. And that's essentially what's making it, giving these, uh, giving this impression that she can disappear. And she's able to kind of control this by doing that and then also switching off with Maya, or not Maya, sorry, with, uh, Midori. And they find, and I believe it is, yeah, it's Rinrin who manages to finally counter her by taking off the top, throwing it in the air, and then as she's trying to use her, uh, her boob flash... The, uh, the top of her swimsuit blocks out the sun, and she manages to rush up before she can get away. Uh, and you think that's where the match ends, but it does not. Uh, Midori is, or sorry, Hikari is only a little weakened after that. So she and Midori use their ultimate combination, in which Hikari jumps into Midori's swimsuit oh, bottom. No. It's actually kind of funny, to be honest. Uh, because, because it's like, they, this is supposed to be their ultimate combination. Like, even the camera, like, it's like they're kind of forming into a gear. Except all she's really doing is just sliding into her, uh, swimsuit bottom. And this apparently doubles their strength because they work in perfect unison together. Uh, anyway, they are, say, uh, they fight a little bit. Not, uh, Rinrin can't seem to counter her. Uh, Hanabi comes in and blocks, and blocks, uh, this. It's called the, uh... It is referred to as the hip-hip train. Uh, and anyway, Hanabi jumps in, blocks the hip-hip train. Uh, it has this very long, weird uh, speech and monologue about the importance of friendship. Even though Hanabi has never really shown herself to be much of a character. Uh, anyway, they are saved by the new girl in this match which uh, on their team who is... Uh... uh Koka, uh, Kogatana, who apparently originally trained in the in an EI style of swordsmanship, but she's moved over to Keijo, and she manages to cut her with a uh, with like a quick boob cut where she kind of undoes her swimsuit real quick, slashes with her breast, and this apparently manages to separate the two, and uh, they get knocked off. Fun. And oh, I'm oh. not done quite oh, yet. No. Uh, okay. Sorry, uh, during the, uh, so basically after all of that, uh, Nozomi and Maya fight for a little bit, uh, uh, Maya is able to counter, or she's able to generally block Nozomi's vacuum butt cannon, uh, with her own Qigong, but she's losing, uh, she's losing ground on that, she's not able to quite stand up to it, and we have a flashback with her where she, uh, or Nozomi compl uh, comments that, uh, you know, she's noticing that Maya's not even bothering to dodge her attacks. Like, you know, she could very easily dodge all these uh, vacuum butt cannons, but she's not for some reason. And that's because Maya's whole reason for joining the team was that people thought she was a freak because she could use Qigong. And as it turns out, 
in uh, Keijo, she finally found a group of people where she could actually... Or, you know, actually accepted her because of her Qigong, so she never wants to let her Qigong lose. Anyway, she starts freaking out, and at the very end of the uh, episode seems to reveal that there's a demon inside her. Anyway, Long Riders. Okay, I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Keijo just sounds like a dark black hole that I don't even want to get into. Um, looking forward to our okay. review episode. Um, <laughs> Alright, so Long Riders, episode 9. Um, the they this is basically the beginning of the Izumi autumn ride. Um, for some reason, at the very beginning of the race, they split the team into two. So the Amy gets held back, and the other four girls just ride on ahead of her, and she has to sprint to catch up. Um, and they never really bring it up again, but it's hard. And yeah. <laughs> and then they um, stop at every opportunity in order to eat all the great food along the route. Basically, the Izumi Autumn Ride is 80 kilometers out and 80 kilometers back. Um, and so it's supposed to take all day to complete, but there's a lot of stops along the way. And most of the race is taken up by them discussing the food that they eat when they stop. You don't really see them biking very much. Um, when you do, you see uh, Amy sort of like struggling to keep up, but then she does, and then they stop and eat again. And then they have an extended montage of all the food they eat, and they talk about rice balls <laughs> and uh, pickled turnips and how Hinako doesn't like pickled turnips, but you're, you're always going to make her eat them anyway. Um, they they stop for tea? Like, uh, anyway, they have this whole extended section where they're stopping and eating and talking about how much they enjoy being together. Um and how they never would have had this great day without Amy founding Team Fortuna, which isn't even true because the other girls would have done this race anyway, but whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, Amy spends the whole episode commenting about how she loves all the food, but she's probably going to gain weight, and everyone has to keep reminding her, like, no, you're exercising, you're fine. Anyway, uh, the, the episode ends... With an official from the race saying, hey, um, are you guys going to finish this race? Because you're in last place, and it might end <laughs> ahead of you. And they realize that they got so distracted eating that they completely lost track of time, and they're going to have to race to the finish. <laughs> and that's it. That's how it ends. Yeah. So, a lot of other series try and save their season finisher with, uh... You know, like their big climactic game. <laughs> you know, with Haikyuu, with uh, with Karasuno versus Shiratorizawa and their blood feud. Yeah. Yuri on Ice dealing with their relationship drama. Long Riders, they ate too much and now they may not finish their race. Yeah, and it's not that they ate too much; it's that they stopped too much and like spent too much time sitting around eating ice cream and enjoying one another's company. <laughs> that the race might end before they can get back to the finish line. So now that all yeah. I could. Yeah, all I could think during this episode was that it was trying to nudge to me and be like, "Hey, girls, am I right?" Yeah, they, they these girls sure do lo lose track of time when they be eaten. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I, I feel like this show is trying to say that the only reason to cycle is to stop and find food. Yeah, well, that's like, all they talk about. I mean, they they really aren't very interested in the sights they, they they comment a little bit on the sights they're seeing 
but most of their conversations are about the food that they are eating or the food that they are about to eat. Um, which is fine. I yeah. just don't understand, like, what the fixation is. I mean, they have, like, some extended joke where um, Saki is talking about how much she loves food, and Yoyoi is talking about how much she loves bikes, and then they make fun of Aoi for liking Amy, and you're just sort of like, okay, let's remember this single character trait we brought up before. Here it is again. The series is failing at dragging its own jokes into the ground. Like, I, I... Because I feel like this is them trying to be like, hey guys, remember that trait of these characters? And it's like, you mean this trait that you guys decided to spring on us like maybe two episodes ago and just act like this has always been their thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say about that is that they were trying, they were playing a word game there. there yeah, no, I, I, I understand. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you, you, you can but explain yeah, no. it, but yeah. No, I'm not going to bother to explain it. I mean, why should I? I mean, does the series really care? Yeah. I mean... Also, I just desperately want to know if anyone but us is watching this stupid show. <laughs> I mean, it's a Daisuke exclusive on the Daisuke app. So you have to like yeah. be watching this on Daisuke. And who uses Daisuke? I, I mean, it's weird that I, I, I do. I, I, um, it's... Well, I mean, the entire reason we even have a Daisuke account is because we wanted to watch Long Riders for yeah, this. Yeah, and yeah, um, regrets. I have, I have a yeah, few. Yeah, regrets have been... I mean, the other thing is that it's a... Uh, like, is anybody else even following the... Like, is anybody subscribed to Daisuke just to watch Long Riders <laughs> like we are? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Like... Who is on the premium membership and go and like, no, I have to catch Long Riders as it comes out. I don't know. I mean, the one nice thing I will say about it is that I've used the account also to watch the the Gundam, the origin uh, films. Oh, okay. Which are pretty great, legitimately, aside from the fact that Dice has to interrupt it with their stupid commercials. Gosh, we're not even talking right. about Long Riders because there's nothing that, like, <laughs> I was just legitimately... Thinking. Complaining about the Daisuke app is more interesting than Long Riders at this point. What a terrible show! <laughs> yeah, no, I was just, th- I was just thinking. It's just like, yeah, no, yeah. Tell me about Gundam, Matt. Just, just talk to me about it. But oh, yeah. Oh my god. Um, the the last thing I wanted to say about Long Riders is I noticed for the first time today when I was watching the opening that you remember Saeki, uh, who was introduced last week as Amy's classmate, yeah. who apparently likes bikes. Saeki's in the intro. Like, she's in the opening. I actually had a thought about that. I had a thought about why they decided to introduce Saeki. Okay. And I think what they're going to try and go for her is that she's going to be the Kohai to to Amy-senpai. Like, they're going to try and do, like, this whole thing about this whole transition of, like, generations. Because I think one of the girls may end up leaving after at the end of it. And then Amy now as the new... Amy as, like, you know, the new, like, experienced member has to show the new girls the ropes. It's it's a cycle. I understand, but also they're literally just a friend group and they aren't a club. Uh, (laughs) Like, they're just a group of friends who hang out and got matching t-shirts just cuz. So that doesn't, like, there's no senpai kohai relationship. Um, and yeah, also, yeah, no, I, but I think that's what they're going to try and change. I to. get it. The one thing that I like about that is that this show actually thinks it's going to get a second season. <laughs> <laughs> like it has the audacity to set itself up for a second season when it can barely you know, execute. To be fair, the first. It's pretty, it's 
pretty cheaply made, so it may be worth their budget, especially if they can sell statues of Yayoi, oh, like, just gosh. sell, like, a few figures. Because my understanding is, like, the other four people who are watching this basically just watch it to ogle Yayoi. Yeah, okay. I, I... Um, so this, this, this ended on a low note, as it always does when we end talking about long riders. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright, man, uh. I think we've had a lot of fun this week. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you hit the credits? Oh, it's my pleasure as always. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.